Hey everybody, welcome to the Working Triathlete Podcast. Today, Derek and I are speaking with Dr. Jim Taylor. Uh, Jim is an internationally recognized authority on the psychology of endurance sport. He's been a consultant to USA Triathlon and several professional cycling teams and works with youth. A former internationally ranked alpine ski racer, Dr. Taylor is a second degree black belt in karate, sub three hour marathoner, an Ironman triathlete, and currently is world level age group Olympic and sprint distance triathlete. Uh, Dr. Taylor is the author of 18 books, including Train Your Mind for Athletic Success. He's the creator of the Train Your Mind for Athletic Success podcast and writes the Inside the TriMind blog. Uh, and you can check him out at drjimtaylor.com. Uh, so Dr. Taylor, welcome to the podcast. We're excited to, to speak with you today, and we are aiming to focus mainly on why mental training is important and, and essential for triathletes. Obviously, that's a rich topic that you are sort of the world's foremost <laughs> leading expert in, I'd say. But if you will, just uh, please give some some background uh, on yourself and, and um, your, your work. Yes. Yeah, so um, thanks for having me, Conrad and Derek. I'm great to be here. Uh, my name is Jim or Dr. Jim. You don't need to call me Dr. Taylor. I don't need all those formal titles. Um, in any case, I'm great fun to be here um, in terms of, you know, what I've been doing. Um, I've always been able to meld my professional life in working in sports psychology and mental training with my athletic life. And, and I just follow my passions. And so I, I was involved in uh, long distance triathlon for a number of years in the 2000s. Then I uh, got married, had kids and sort of just lost my competitive mojo. And so for 11 years, I didn't compete. You know, I stayed active. I ran, I biked, I lifted, uh, didn't swim for 11 years. And then in 2019, uh, just out of the blue, just without even thinking about it, I got the bug. And uh, the tri bug again, and uh, pulled out my my triathlon bike, which had been in storage literally for 11 years. Um, got it tuned up. Three weeks later, did my first Olympic distance, and I've been obsessed ever since. And um, just love the sport, love the community, love pushing myself again, having goals, and just seeing how good I can be. And um, you know, I'm comp I compete at the world level, but the way I put it is that I compete against the best in the world, but they're not too worried about me. Um, so you know, there are there are guys guys who are just genetic freaks and, and they are just, I'm never going to beat them, but that's okay. Because, um, I, if I can get closer and, and be competitive with the, uh, with a lot of guys, um, it's just great fun. Absolutely. And that, so are you still riding that bike that you pulled no. out of storage 11 years ago? No, no. <laughs> uh, I'm a total um, tech geek and a gear geek. So as soon as I could, I got a new bike and, you know, an up-to-date one. And, um, you know, I'm really into marginal gains. So any little thing oh, yeah. that I think can make even a psychological difference, um, I will, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll buy as long, as long as it's not too expensive. Um, I do have my limits, um, but um, I love my bikes and um, all the accoutrement that comes with uh, cycling and triathlon, you know, power meters and watches and platforms and all these other things. So uh, it's all cool stuff. It is. I mean, that's a big part of triathlon. And you uh, 
briefly alluded to the point that a good bike is one that you like is helpful from a mental perspective, just knowing that you're not giving up time on shoddy equipment or, or anything like that. That's certainly an important component of, uh, feeling mentally good during, during racing. Um, but, you know, talking about marginal gains, I mean, one area that I don't think is a marginal gain is, you know, focusing on the mental side of things. And obviously, you know, more than anybody about it. So, I mean, how important is, is the mental side of, of triathlon compared to the physical and, and technical sides? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a great question that I always start off with, and I I ask that question of of athletes. I've been asking that question of athletes for for decades, and I sort of always take a poll whether it's a group of athletes or an individual athlete I'm working with, and um, and very few will say less important. Um, probably the majority say as important, but a very large proportion say the mental side is more important. And of course, given what I do for a living, I love that. Um, but but I'm also a realist that that I don't even think the mental side is more important because you can have all the mental stuff in the world, but you can't fake triathlon, as you well know. You can't fake running, biking, and swimming. And so you have to have the physical and, tech and technical components. But the mental side is an essential piece of the puzzle. And it's also a neglected piece of the puzzle. Because if you think about it, how many hours a day do your triathletes spend in training? Well, it depends upon their distance, but I'm assuming for anywhere from, you know, five to six to up to, you know, 20 or more hours for Ironman distance triathletes. It's a huge time commitment. But then ask, how much time do you spend doing mental training? And they, they, they sort of shake their heads and give this sort of embarrassed smile. And they say, like, they sort of sheepishly say, well, I don't know, not really any time at all. And, and that's not entirely true. Um, so, guys, I make a distinction between doing mental stuff. And doing mental training. So doing mental stuff is every every triathlete does things to motivate themselves, um, like joining um, the working triathlete and in the community that that support that that you support and support each other. Um, everybody tries to be positive when they're going through a tough patch. Everybody um, does their best to stay relaxed before the start of an open water swim. Everyone tries to focus on what they need to do to to swim to perform well. Um, but th that mental stuff is different from mental training. Just like going into the gym every couple of weeks and doing arm curls and a couple of sit-ups, that's not mental. That's not physical training. That's physical stuff. And so what, what I try to do is distinguish mental training and think about it. To I encourage triathletes to think about it the same way they do their physical conditioning and their, 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 their sport training in that it, what makes conditioning, what makes um, triathlon training effective, as you guys do, is first of all, it's comprehensive. It covers every part of physical performance. Um, it it's, um, it's structured. You know, your athletes, I assume, don't just go to the pool and just swim around. I assume you have a very structured uh, workout each day. Um, consi it's consistent. They do it on a regular basis, and they put a lot of effort into it. And so that's what makes a, tra tra a physical triathlon training program effective. And the same thing applies to the mental side, to mental training. So, yes. So I, part of it is convincing athletes, you know, the importance of carving out time for, you know, deliberately practicing or honing the mental side of things. And, you know, I know one article I read that, that you wrote, you talked about one reason triathletes often neglect maybe mental training, the type that we're talking about is it lacks the, the 
concreteness of everything else that you just talked about, like going to the pool and, and knocking out, you know, 10 by 100, like you, you can measure that it's measurable. Um, and especially with triathletes, there's this Strava phenomenon or, or this obsession with data where if they don't track it and can't measure it, then they feel like it doesn't count. And obviously that is a huge mistake. Um, you know, so, so how do you convince athletes that it, it is important or, and I mean, is there a way to, to track it? Yeah. So there are two issues you brought up. One is time. And the great thing about mental training is you don't need to spend 10 to 20 hours a week doing mental training. The vast majority of it, you can incorporate into your swimming, biking and run training. And so it just becomes a part of what you do that, that, that helps the quality of their efforts and makes it more bearable and more enjoyable. Um, the second part is, um, what was the second, the second part you asked about? Um, oh yeah. Tangible, right. Mm -hmm. That is the biggest challenge. And so it's easy to go into the gym and put plates in the bar and you can see the weight, you can feel the weight, you can see the numbers on your power meter. And, and triathlon is, if anything, an incredibly data-driven um, uh, activity. And it's one that's also, as you suggest, of a great source of ego and pride as well that you share out on Strava. Um, what I try to do in my work is to make mental training tangible. So for example, I start off and hopefully we can do this in one of future podcasts is I give them what's called my mental performance assessment. And you can think of it as like physical testing for the mind where I, where I go through this list of all the mental areas that I think are most important for a triathlon success. And, and then I have them assess themselves on a one to 10 scale. And yeah, well, I can't wire people's brains and measure confidence and measure intensity or focus. We can't see it. We can't open up their heads. But we can attach numbers to it and we can give them, give triathletes a things, things to do because triathletes are doers. They want to do stuff to get better. And so what I do is, is helping triathletes understand that there are exercises, mental exercises they can do to strengthen their mind. And, and by making it tangible, because the hard thing, again, mental training is like trying to hold on to smoke. You can't. And so I try to make it tangible. And I do that in a couple of ways. First of all, I create a vocabulary. So instead of just saying, yeah, I, I get really worried or I start doubting myself before a race, I label that confidence. And then I define confidence and explain confidence. And all of a sudden, no, you can't touch it, but you can wrap your arms around. It's like, OMG, that is what's going on with me. And from there, then I'll go, okay, so here's some exercises you can do in training. Uh, yes, a few minutes away from training, you know, yeah, there's some mental exercises that do require a little time away from training, but we're talking, you know, 15, 20 minutes a week. So again, not a major um, invasion of time. And, and, you know, you call your, your company's the working triathlete. And well, that's exactly the challenge is that there's only so much time in the day and time is a zero sum game. And it's our most precious resource because it's non-renewable. And so, so taking this approach of making it not time consuming and making it as tangible as possible. And I would love to see something like training peaks and Strava add a more of a mental component to it because, because it does play such a big role. So when, when we think about, you know, mental, mental training, and you just mentioned a lot of what you prescribe occurs while athletes are, 
are actually training, um, you know, w- what is it exactly that, you know, they're, they're trying to hone? Like, I know you, you talk about mental muscles and, yes. and specifically mental training, I guess, maybe elaborate on that a little bit if you can. Yeah. So again, a part of making mental training more tangible is I use the vocabulary of mental muscles. Triathletes can obviously relate to muscles. Muscles can be weak, they can be strong, and they can get injured. Physical muscles. And the same thing with mental muscles. Somebody has a really bad race, man, their confidence muscle gets injured. Their motivation muscle gets injured. And mm-hmm. and th- there's no doubt somebody gets really nervous before a race or they have trouble focusing during the swim. Those are examples uh, where their muscles aren't strong enough. And, and there are five mental muscles that I focus on in my work. And I've, I've mentioned them out of order, but, I, but I'm a big order guy as well, um, because triathlon training has progressions in terms of power, in terms of distance, in terms of speed. And mental training also has progressions in my work. So the five are motivation, the foundation of everything, because if you're not going to get up and do the work, nothing else matters. Um, Second is confidence, the most important mental factor on race day, because if you don't believe you can go the distance and hold a pace, you're not going to, you're not going to try. The third mental muscle is intensity. Now, this is where I need to clarify. A lot of people think about intensity as like mental intensity, like super focused, not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about physiological intensity, this range from really relaxed to really fired up. And, And everybody performs at a certain level of ideal intensity based upon who they are and also what the distance is. So as a general rule, a sprint, higher intensity. Uh, Ironman, 70.3, lower intensity, because with higher intensity, you're burning fuel, but you can go faster. So a a lot of what I, and also at the high end of that is anxiety. And most triathletes are going to feel some level of anxiety before the race, whether it's because the race itself or just the swim, which is swimming is inherently scary for most people, especially those who don't grow up with swimming. Um, so helping, helping triathletes find that ideal intensity and use mental exercises and tools to reach that ideal intensity. Um, the fourth mental muscle is focus. The ability to focus effectively on what will help you perform your best in each discipline is essential. And it's so easy during the course of a triathlon, whether it's um, the heat, whether it's rough water, um, whether it's hills, whether it's, oh my gosh, my biggest opponent just passed me. Um, What what happens if I don't qualify for nationals or whatever it might be? All these things are really bad things for focus. So the ability to stay focused on what will help you perform your best is so important. And the last mental muscle is emotions. And emotions are probably the most powerful. And I, I think of the emotions this way in terms of triathlon, but also just for life. Because emotions are what drive us toward things and what drive us away from things. So, and one thing that I so appreciate about triathlon, especially as you get into longer distances, but even on short distance, is it peels peels back the onion of your emotional core. Like you can feel, as you guys well know, you can feel the, the most wide ranging and intense emotions, good and bad, pleasant and unpleasant, positive and negative, all in one race. You know, everything from fear to anger, to frustration, to disappointment, to despair, to excitement, pride, inspiration, joy. And so being able to leverage those positive emotions 
and reduces mit- and mitigate the negative emotions is, is so important because ultimately, again, emotions are our fuel. And if we sh- shut off the fuel, the fuel line with anger, frustration, sadness, despair, fear, we're not moving forward. I like that comparison that, you know, emotions are, are the fuel. And, you know, we think about physical endurance, but just as important is, is, you know, certainly mental endurance. And we know that things like willpower and discipline are finite resources and one major obstacle for a lot of athletes, especially age group athletes who have careers and family and responsibilities is sort of managing their emotional energy and their their mental energy so that they can perform in all aspects of, of their lives. So, you know, we're specifically talking about, you know, why is mental training important for endurance athletes, specifically for triathlon and maximizing triathlon performance. But it it seems like a lot of what you're talking about is just universally important, you know, across the board, not just in triathlon, but also in life. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Conrad, um, you know, it's a great insight on your part. And I always start off with, with, with triathletes I work with, and I'll say like, this is not about triathlon psychology or endurance sports psychology or sports psychology. This is life. Mm-hmm. And everything I talk about um, is focused on on giving people understanding tools to deal with life. And and one another thing I always, always emphasize when when I first start talking about possibly working with with an athlete is um, I have three goals with them. The most basic one is to help them achieve their goals because fundamentally that's why they come to me because they're they, whether it's they're trying to get to the Olympics or. NCAA or world championship age group nationals, whatever it might be, that's why they come to me. But, and, and I certainly support and encourage and help them achieve those goals. But there are two other ones that are far more important to me. Um, one is per, uh, personal development. I want triathlon, I want endurance sports to help them become the best version of themselves. And, and so everything I, I talk about helps in that. And ultimately, uh, mental health. And triathlon is a wonderful therapeutic tool. And, you know, we've heard over the last four or five years, so many high-level athletes from Michael Phelps to Naomi Osaka, to Simone Biles, to Kevin Durant, um, talking about their mental health, mental illness challenges, really. And so ultimately, everything I do is aimed at helping people become the most mentally healthy they can be and using triathlon as, as a tool for that. Whereas the reality is sometimes um, people get into triathlon and keep going longer and longer um, looking for something at the finish line, whether it's happiness, the, the absence of angst, um, whatever it might be. And you never find it at the finish line. And, and that, that, was, that was an important lesson for me um, in my triathlon life. Um, one, one other thing I, w- I want to mention as well in terms of thinking about mental training and, and, the, and the connection between mental training and physical training. So often people think of, of um, the physical side of, of triathlon, you know, conditioning, injury rehab, nutrition, sleep, all those things over on one side. And then like mental training's over on the other side, away from it. It's like, let, we only deal with that maybe if there's a problem. But that's like, that's like saying, I'm not gonna do conditioning until I get hurt. And so a lot of this is about prevention and preparation. Mm-hmm. And by using a lot of these um, these tools and exercises, you strengthen the mind. 
So when you get into those real challenges the, um, during training or race, then you can overcome them. Oh yeah, one other quick thing as well is that that talking about emotions, um, emotions are certainly psychological, but they're also physical. And I think the great example, again, firsthand experience, um, my first Ironman, um, Lake Placid a number of years ago, um, at, a, at around mile 65 or 70, I had an emotional crisis. And one, th one thing I later learned was that it's very common because the, the, the emotional crisis is you've been out there for, I don't know, four or five, six hours, some seven hours, and you still have another four or five to go. <laughs> But this is where this, that connection between the physical and the mental happens, because what I later later learned, and I was able to get through it, but I didn't really understand it until after, um, was that an, emo an emotional crisis is often a nutritional crisis. Mm -hmm. and, and so one thing I learned in my later long distance races was that, first of all, I would prepare for that moment between 60 and 90 miles when pretty much everybody has that crisis by fueling well. But also in that moment when I start to feel like, oh my gosh, I still have another, another 30 miles on the freaking bike. And I then have to run a marathon. OMG, right. Then, um, then it's like, I need to drink. I need to eat. And the emotional crisis lessens. Yeah. It no, also that seems like, oh, as I say, it also seems like, um, the mental training can also help with people making like an emotional decision or not making an, a decision based on emotions as well. Right. Absolutely. Great question, Derek. A great comment. And, and really what it does, it enables you to, so here's a little thing. So I'm really into um, evolutionary theory and, and um, being back in the Serengeti 250,000 years ago. And that's when we humans first officially became homo sapiens. And we like to think in 2020 triathlon life in the U.S. or around the world um, that we're these highly evolved beings with the cerebral cortex and this prefrontal cortex that separates us from animals. But we still respond to the world very much we, as we did back on the Serengeti 250,000 years ago or before. And so if we are wired that if we perceive a situation as a threat, like when we experience pain, pain evolved for a very specific reason to ensure our survival. And so when we feel pain in our training now, our initial reaction is very primitive. We want to stop. Because in the Serengeti 250,000 years ago, if we felt pain, what was likely to follow was death. But now we want to feel pain. And that's why it's so important, as, as, as you suggested, Derek, to be able to sort of override those, those, those emotional and physiological instincts and, and be able to go, oh, no, this pain is actually good. This means I'm working hard. This means I'm working, that I'm progressing toward my goals. Mm -hmm. And so being able to separate it's sort of the emotional and the physical the and mental are connected, but also we want to try to separate them a little bit too, because when the emotions get involved in a hard day of training or at the end of a long race, that's trouble. Exactly. Mm -hmm. As you're, you're, you're indicating there, Derek. So I know one uh, instance, when we think about pain, I know that you wrote a little bit about, you know, trying to maybe categorize it in a certain way or, or recognize that, you know, it isn't the same as necessarily even suffering. Uh, so you talked about the difference between suffering, pain, and discomfort. And I think understanding yeah. that is, uh, it might help alleviate some of the anxieties that triathletes feel around pain or suffering during hard training or racing. 
Yeah, yeah, Connor, it's, it's, it's a great point, and it, it's really true, and this goes to making something like pain, which we think of as a physical experience, but it's actually filtered through our mind as, 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 a, as, a more, as more tangible. So I do make this distinction, and I learned this years ago. I used to give talks to Leukemia and Lymphoma Society team and training, and 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 obviously, and I got to thinking about this because of the fact that that they were raising money for for cancer treatment, and I made this distinction between suffering, pain, and discomfort. So I was out for a ride a number of years ago with some friends, and it was a really hard ride. It's about six thousand vertical, about seventy miles. Um, up, uh, I live north of San Francisco and, um, and at the end of the ride, I was sitting around with the guys and one of them said, man, that was a suffer fest out there. <laughs> and, 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 and I, and I said, oh yes, totally was. Cause it's a suffer fest that, that makes us heroic. We love hearing that. Right. <laughs> but then when I started giving these workshops to, um, the team in training, I, I realized that what we experience when we're riding or swimming or biking isn't suffering. Suffering is it's intense. It's really intense and severe. The pain it's uncontrollable. We can't turn it off. Um, and it's not going away anytime soon. So somebody with cancer, they suffer. Um, well, is what we experience pain? Well, um, if you're injured, I think of that more as pain. Again, it's not quite as controllable. Um, but it does ultimately go away when you heal. Um, and it can be obviously very severe. Um, so we don't even really experience pain. So what do we really experience? Well, physical discomfort, because it's not that bad and it, it and we can turn it off anytime we want by stopping or easing up. Um, but just just in terms of vocabulary to say, man, that was a discomfort fest out there. It <laughs> does not sound as good. It doesn't have quite the ring to it, does it? So, uh, so we still call it pain, but we understand what it is now and simply understanding what we feel helps us deal with it better and and gives us a beginning for addressing it in, in a much more effective way. Yes. I mean, and relating that back to, you know, why triathletes need to focus on, on mental training. I mean, just your perspective towards racing tends to, will transform, you know, once you sort of get control over your mind and how you approach racing and, and fears or, or anxiety about racing. Um, and I know that with a lot of athletes, I would say newer athletes, oftentimes they, they tend to fear the, the pain and the unknown more than seasoned athletes. Um, you know, it gets to the point I remember, you know, earlier in middle school or high school cross country, everybody was mortified because it was not familiar to them. And then you race enough, you realize, okay, you're, you're not going to die. And one's relationship with discomfort, it tends to shift and the limiter isn't necessarily discomfort. Maybe it's, it's more physical, literally, you just can't go as, as hard. But, you know, when we think about this psychobiological model of, of training that, you know, Alex Hutchinson, popularized and endure. And there were a bunch of other people. I think Tim Noakes started it. Um, clearly the mind has a tremendous impact on performance, you know, both in training and, and also in racing. Um, and I mean, what's, what's your perspective on maybe the mind's impact? Like, I know it's impossible to, to pinpoint this exactly, but I mean, wh what percentage of people's performances limited by 
their their mind? Yeah, that's a tough one to answer. It's tough to yeah. quantify because the mind does play a significant role, and and how how you what percentage you portion out the physical, the technical, the mental that that's really hard to specifically quantify. But certainly, for example, um, you know, toward the end of a race, so much of that is mental because we feel like yes, there are times with, with when triathletes just bonk. And I call it the Julie Moss phenomenon from 1982 Ironman, where she was, mm-hmm. I don't know, 50 yards from the finish and she fell down. She just, and she, and people started to go, go to help her. She said, no, stay away. And I, I talked to her once a few years back about this. Uh, she, she spoke in the area and she said her mind was completely sharp, but her, but, and she was, she was sending commands to her body and her body wasn't listening. And so that's an extreme case where there was nothing left in the tank, but there's a lot of research, both anthropological research from where they studied um, cave people um, hunting um, gazelle and and also more recent human performance lab research with sports scientists that has demonstrated that in most cases we have fuel in the tank. Mm -hmm. We just need to tap into it. And again, this is evolutionary because these anthropologists, they studying this, found that um, that hunters would spend five, six hours hunting a gazelle, sometimes 15, 20 miles from home. And if they didn't have fuel in the tank after they killed the gazelle, they couldn't bring the gazelle home to eat and help their family survive. So so just through evolution, we got we found we, we, we got we, we have this reserve. And so in a race with a couple miles left and you feel like there's nothing left. In most cases, there's something left, but you need to tap into it because your body at that point is saying, I've had enough now, we can stop. And if the mind says, okay, you're going to walk it in or stop. But if your mind recognizes, and this this is just a great piece of information that I've heard from the athlete, from the endurance athletes I've worked with. When I told them about this idea of fuel in the tank, all of a sudden it totally changes the end of the race because they're dying for sure, but they know that this fuel still in the tank. And I, I give them tools then for how to tap into that. And so that alone can be a real game changer, but it's, it's the attitude, it's the perspective. It's what triathletes say to themselves when they're, when they're struggling, when it's hard, that's where the power of the mind comes in. So the, the, the mind can't overcome a physical situation that is just a, a just a, a non-starter, like, like totally bonking or an injury, but if the body still has fuel in the tank, that's where the mind has its greatest influence and its greatest power. And one one other aspect, I guess, of, of mental training that I think of often. So you, you were definitely so you were talking about literally the physical limiters, like like fueling and and an inability to just generate power, just chemically. But also, I mean, to, to what extent is is mental training relevant for? I guess sticking to the plan or one thing that we really talk about with our athletes and where mental strength sort of comes in is almost this ability to relax and to have a calm mind when you're racing because then you're more efficient and you you were talking about the mental muscles and intensity was one thing and you know this concept of having like you can't focus ferociously for a long course race you, you can't do a long course race functioning off of anger or anything like that. So, um, you know, I guess maybe just talk briefly about that, the mental, the importance of mental training for pacing and approaching each race 
appropriately and using your mind to meet the demands specifically of unique race and meeting the challenges therein. Well, uh, one, one, one thing that mental training can do is create consistency and commitment. And those are two fundamentals to success in triathlon. I mean, you have to stick with the program. And what I found is if you stick with the program, you get stronger. And, you know, I, I come, come, come across triathletes who, who think, well, if, if, if five miles is good, well, 10 miles is even better. That's that over, over compliance is just as bad as under compliance. And so, so having that ability to stay committed to the program and from there having that consistency and that if you can, if you can enter a race, knowing that this is what I need to do and having a plan. And I actually wrote an article about this following um, St. George World uh, 70, no, the Ironman World Championships when, with, with Lionel Sanders. Now, obviously everybody loves Lionel Sanders. He is the most interesting fellow out there in my view. Um, and, and he has made a major change over the last year and everybody's noticed it. And in co coaching with Mikhail um, uh, Eden, and um, he obviously has always prided himself on the ability to just suffer. And that made him heroic, but it was also self-destructive because he always thought more the better. But now he has a program. And in, in this recent article I wrote about, let's see if I can come up with there are four things that he did. First of all, he had a plan. Um, he executed and um, he was disciplined. So during the during the bike, you know, when Sam Long and Cam Worf went went out went out in chase in chase of the lead group, I think a couple of years ago he probably would have gone with them. But for the first time in my observation of him over the years, and I don't know him personally, I've never worked with him, um, is he he stuck with the plan. He trusted the plan, and it ended up with him passing Braden Curry with what two hundred meters to go <laughs> and coming in second. And, and, and if he had tried to go out, gone out faster on the bike, he would have not had those legs. And so having mental training allows you to develop the confidence and the trust in the plan and the execution, because there's so many things that go on during a triathlon, as you well know, that can cause you to go, oh my gosh, I need to, I need to go harder. I mean, getting passed by people, you know, one of the, one of the great lines that I remember from Ironman days is um, I was flying off the bike. And my response to that is who cares? And, and, and I, I come from a more of a running background. So for me, it's all about catching up of, on the real estate that I've got ahead of me. And so what matters is where you are at the finish line, not whether you won the swim or the bike or whatever, or what your numbers are. So being able to have that commitment to the program and then apply that commitment to a plan and to consistency throughout a race, that is hugely fun, fundamental and, and so psychological. Yes, it, it it definitely is. And, you know, when <laughs> we think about that, it is never the case that, you know, halfway through the run in a long course race, anybody ever wishes they ran the first, you know, half faster. Um, it's just not not something that comes up. So yes, th this importance of of discipline and and being patient is is essential. You know, I think one big aspect of the mental game, so to speak, or that you're talking about is this importance of consistency, cons consistency over time and being patient and working on it in, in small doses. Cause I know one big issue that a lot of athletes might have is, is they get hyped up for singular workouts or they just it's almost like they don't ration their enthusiasm or, or motivation. If we're talking about the mental muscles in, in a way that's wisely and that promotes consistency over the long term. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, athletes, new athletes will, will reach out to us and they want to uh, want us to, to coach them or want to join the team. And 
uh, we're definitely welcoming, but you know, once in a while we'll, we'll, we'll get a call from somebody and I always categorize this person as somebody who listened to a, a David Goggins video and chugged a monster energy drink. And then, you know, called Derek or, or Conrad because they want to do an Ironman all of a sudden with, with no background. But obviously that it doesn't work like that. To what extent do you view or, or do you sort of preach this importance of rationing motivation or, or you know, looking towards the long-term improvements with, with mental training? Because I imagine it's a long process that for triathletes, they need to take sort of like with training, a long-term plan. Right. Well, that's the interesting thing. You wouldn't believe the number of calls I get two weeks before a national championship or a state championship or whatever saying, can you work with me or can you work with my kid? And can you fix them? And it's like, I think I'm pretty good at what I do guys, but I'm not a magician. But for some reason, just like they wouldn't go, they wouldn't go to you guys and say, okay, I've got nationals coming up in Milwaukee in a week and a half. Can you get me ready? That's not going to happen um, because you guys aren't magicians either. Um, but for some reason, people think that that mental coaches and sports psychologists are, and we're not. And and so you know, there's no magic, there's no quick fixes to anything in life that takes effort. And the same with mental training. And so usually, what what I suggest is that that within it takes you know maybe three to six months to see meaningful change. But it's it's that ongoing commitment to the process that matters. Just like with the with the physical training, you guys do with, with your, with your athletes. And so a lot of it is just sort of educating them is like that there are, there are no magic bullets. There, there are, there's no magic pills. It's just like you put in the time, you do the work and you will get faster. And so that is uh, an attitude that's really important to instill um, whether it's, whether it's for the physical side of, of training or, or the mental side. And so I know we, we spoke briefly about Lionel. And I know that, you know, you sort of looked at him and, and uh, had some op- observations when it came to him sort of honing his mental game. But, you know, do you have any other examples of, of triathletes, you know, either ones who, who you've worked with, who have, you know, 100% benefited from mental training? Due to confidentiality, I can't name names. Sure. Um, but, uh, but for so many of the triathletes who come to me, they have the physical capabilities to achieve their goals, but for some reason they're just, they can't seem to get there. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes it's deeper stuff, um, you know, like f- fear of failure, um, perfectionism, um, uh, to mm. being too f- focused on results, um, because part of all the data driven aspects of our sport is results and rankings and qualifying for, for different races. And a lot of times I'm, I'm helping tri- triathletes just get stronger mentally um, with these mental muscles, giving them a bunch of mental exercises that, and we can talk about a few of those um, in a bit, um, but also just help, helping them establish the right attitude. Because with triathlon, you need to care a lot. You need, triathlon needs to be important to you. Um, I have this thing called the two zone. One of the most dangerous words in triathlon and in life for that matter is a simple three-letter word. T-O-O. And when you enter the two zone, that means it becomes too important to you. That means you care mm. too much. That means you try too hard. And, and then there's like too much pressure. And so a lot of it is just perspective because, you know, the people who you work with and at least some of the people I work with, they're not going to be Olympians. They're not going to be professional triathletes. Not, they're not going to win Kona. But it's so easy to get wrapped up in the results because everybody's got the cool bike. They at least is what they perceive. Everybody's got the cool bike. Everybody's got um, got um, you know this, this incredible suit and the aero helmet and all this stuff. 
but I just did a, a, a triathlon um, this past weekend up uh, in Truckee, Northern California mountains mm-hmm. near where we have a cabin. And it was, it was a, a lot of people show up for it. And it was amazing. There were people out there on beater bikes, on mountain bikes, you know, with, with baggy shorts, with, with um, like, um, like surfing wetsuits. And I love that. Because that's what triathlon is about. It's not about looking cool or mm-hmm. or going fast. It's just about being out there with a bunch of other people and in a beautiful place and doing the best you can. And the irony, Conrad and Derek, about that is that if you focus on just going out there and having fun and doing the best you can, you're more likely to get the, the results you want as well. Because there are people out there like myself, I'm super competitive and part, yes, I, I get great joy and satisfaction out of just training hard and having great a great race. But yeah, I want to see how good I can be mm-hmm. um, compared to the top guys in the field in my age group. And so uh, so there's I'm not saying you shouldn't have that part, but it can't be what drives you. It's got to it's got to come from in here. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. And when I was in college, I cared so much about the results in track and field that I would get to the start line and I would doubt myself every single race. And my, my results were inconsistent. You know, I'd have good races and bad races. Uh, you know, fast forward when I started doing triathlon, I, like you mentioned, still competitive, still want to do well, but I know it's a part of my life. It's not the only thing in my life and, um, I'm a lot more consistent. I trust the process. I'm much more confident too. Yeah. I mean, there, there are definitely seasons to a triathlon career or an endurance career, and you can't be too obsessed or results driven all the time necessarily. Obviously, if you're a professional triathlete and you're making a living, you have to perform for certain races. But you know, this this week chatted with with an athlete a little bit who, you know, was getting a little bit, I think, burnt out because certain athletes have this unrelenting focus on qualifying for Kona, you know, hitting a certain time goal. But when your life revolves around that and you show up and you do a race and you don't achieve that goal, you know, oftentimes there's this idea that all of the training was for nothing and it was a waste. And when people start viewing training only as a means to achieve a certain result in a race, that's when the joy goes away. And in in endurance sports, there are a lot of amazing races and ways to enjoy the sport separately from, you know, just going as fast as possible. I'm thinking about the gravel racing or Norseman. So, you know, one recommendation was targeting a fun, you know, a race like Norseman where the goal isn't necessarily going as fast as possible. It's just completing it or enjoying the race. But to underscore the main point of what I'm saying is you have to find, I think, meaning in the process and you have to find enjoyment in the process. And sometimes, especially for athletes who have full-time jobs and who have other things going on and it's good to have other things going on but if you have other things going on you know you need to kind of take a measured approach to to training and you know there are certainly seasons where you need to be appropriately focused and it's okay to be I don't want to say obsessed but pretty much obsessed for you know a couple months or something or if you want to make a go at a race but what you all are saying just this this concept of enjoying and finding meaning in processes is important for sure. 
Oh, without a doubt. And and really what it ties in is with balance. <clears throat> and even if you look at a lot of pro triathletes, um, you know, I watch a bunch of the YouTube channels, obviously Lionel's, um, uh, Paula Finley and Eric Lagerstrom's, um, two of your triathletes, Miguel and uh, Maddox and Jenna Hoffler, and they have surprising balance. And, and, and like you said, in, in an Ironman, you can't be like this, mm-hmm. you know, totally uh, blinded the entire time. It's just you're burning psychic energy that you need to re- preserve. And the same holds true over just your, your triathlon overall efforts, your training program. You can't be just so narrowly focused on it all the time. You'll, your brain will explode and you'll, and you'll burn out for sure. And so, so there are times, yes, when it's time to do a swim or bike or run workout, then yes, you bring the focus in, you bring the energy in, you bring the passion in, but then on other times, um, when you, when the workout's done, then you go to do your job and you hang with your family or you do whatever else you, you enjoy doing. And that balance actually enables your, your body and your mind to, to rest, rejuvenate and refuel and, and, and get that mojo back. And it's one of the hardest things, especially longer the distances, but it's even, you know, with an Olympic and sprint distance that I'm doing now, it's easy to get burned out because, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're not doing it over quite as long a time, but you're putting in is, you know, the, the, it's the, you know, pedal to the metal, the gas is to the floor. And so you're burning a lot of fuel, whether it's over the course of a week of training or a one workout or a, a training block. And so being able to, to sort of keep perspective and have some balance and be able to turn it off, then, then that, that's, that's, only, that's only good. It's only positive and it's only going to help you ultimately get where you want to go. Mm-hmm. So I guess we're sort of getting at this, this concept that maybe one component of mental training isn't necessarily just always focusing inward and trying to maybe improve the mind, but it's also curating a life that maybe can help mental health or, you know, creating a schedule or life that will enable you to, I guess, enjoy the sport more and which should also potentially enhance performance. So maybe developing a lifestyle that sets you up for, for success. Yeah. And not just success in triathlon, but success in life, because mm-hmm. you, know, you have you have a job. Most of us have jobs and we need to support our families or ourselves and having the time and the energy to do that. And, you know, if you're training, you know, 20 hours a week or more with like with long distance races, it's, it's hard to be able to be rested and focused um, in your work. Um, and then if you have mm-hmm. family, that's a whole nother story. You know, if you're married or a partner, have kids, um, that's a whole nother challenge as well. And so it, it, it's finding that balance and, and balance doesn't mean, you know, one third, one third, one third necessarily. It means that there are times when you devote it all to your family or all to your work and times you are all into triathlon and times when, when it's going to go in and out. And there are times when your triathlon training is not going to be everything you can be and and you can't do everything you need to and you need to move things around but that flexibility is really important to maintain that balance and 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 if you can find that not only are you likely to to enjoy the experience the most and also perform your best but also as as Derek said uh, you know triathlon should be a part of your life not life itself and so it's that so you're all those experiences and joys that you get out of triathlon should ultimately fit into this global um, life of yours that includes all sources, uh, a lot of sources of satisfaction and meaning and joy. Right. It's it's almost as if so obviously one, one of our main topics is is that we discussed on this podcast was why is mental training important for 
triathlon, but it's almost like you can invert it and, and think about, well, okay, maybe the end isn't necessarily honing our mental tools to do well at triathlon, but it's, you know, how can we use triathlon to better improve our, our, our mental state? Cause you know, one of our, the main goals, I think of depending on what philosophical school of thought you, you know, adhere to is ultimately we want to manage ourselves better and navigate life with, with courage and, and grace and wisdom and competency. And it's almost as if the end should be achieving a useful and, and powerful mind. And then triathlon is almost like a path to actualize that. And that's even more meaningful than, you know, maybe the opposite. You're absolutely right. And, and in a way, I mean, that's the end game because there are three things that I strive for in my life. And this ties in exactly with what you're talking about. And it also is, is where triathlon is a key part of this is that in my life, I want to experience three things, meaning I want there to be a purpose to my life, um, satisfaction. So I want my efforts to be, I want to feel good about my efforts and then joy, because if there's no joy in life, you know what, you know, you, you, you gotta, you gotta look in the mirror and, and maybe make some changes because you know, this, we, this is, we have one shot here. There's no dress rehearsal in life. Mm-hmm. And so let's get the most out of it. We can, and triathlon can be a massively wonderful part of that. Um, it can also be an impediment, but if we think higher order of achieving our triathlon goals, personal development, ultimately mental health, all those things tie into just who we are and the lives we want to lead. And, and the goal is to maximize not just performance in triathlon, but to maximize every aspect of our lives. And so mental training, as I talked about earlier, is not just about triathlon psychology, it's about life. And so being able to, one thing that my clients have always said to me over the years is, yeah, I use this, uh, you know, I, I, you taught me this thing about mental training for my sport, but I find I'm using that with, with in my family and I find I'm using it in my work and it just makes life a whole lot better. Absolutely. And, you know, it's definitely a, a privilege to, I think, have the ability to compete in triathlons and a privilege to, to think about all of these things. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's certainly a privilege to discuss all of this with you. Uh, and we definitely thank you for, for coming on, on the podcast. And are, are there any other, just to, I guess, tie up this, this sort of first episode, are there any other items that, that you think we should, we should cover as it relates to getting across this, you know, the main point, which is if you're a triathlete and you want to do well, it's, it's good to focus on mental training. Yeah. Well, as I talked about earlier, we have these mental muscles, but they need to be exercised. Mm-hmm. And I also use a metaphor of, of a mental toolkit. So, so this applies very, very literally in, in, in a triathlon with cycling is if you get a flat tire on a ride and you pull over and you don't have a, a spare, um, an inflator or a tire lever, or you don't know how to use them because a lot of people have them on their bikes, but they don't know how to change a darn tire. Uh, and then they're stuck. And this is a great metaphor for life in, in triathlon because triathlon and life are going to be filled with flat metaphorical flat tires. So it's not about whether you get the flat tires, it's do you know how to fix them? So a lot of my work is about helping triathletes um, create a, a, a mental toolkit. And the great thing about a mental toolkit, it doesn't weigh anything. You don't have to strap it to your bike. And, and yet there are these p- very powerful tools. And, and there are five very powerful tools that I use with triathletes. Let's see if I can remember them. Um, goal setting. So we are hardwired to 
respond to goals. As you guys well know, one of the great joys in life is setting a goal, working toward a goal, and achieving a goal. That's that's some of the greatest satisfaction we have. Whether it's a hard hitting the numbers on a hard workout on our indoor trainer, or um, you know doing well in a race. Second is mental imagery or visualization, the most powerful mental tool there is, and so underutilized and so powerful in its use um, in training, but also in race in preparation for and during races. So mental training is a great tool. Um, Self talk: what you say to yourself is what you will do. Henry Ford um, once said, "If you don't think you can do something, you're right." And yet what typically goes to the dark side when it gets hard in a training session or in a race, your self-talk. And if you turn against yourself, the course is already trying to beat you. Your opponents are trying to beat you. And if you turn against yourself, you're trying to beat yourself. So self-talk is huge. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fourth is routines. So routines are essential for preparation and consistency. And training routines, life routines, and of course, race routines. So having a plan of what you're going to do to make sure that when you get to the line, when you're about to uh, begin the swim, you can say to yourself, I'm totally prepared to swim my best and then bike and run my best. And the last, oddly enough, is breathing. Breathing is one of those tools that, yes, it's physical, but we don't think about it much because we don't have to think about it much. It happens automatically. And yet it has tremendous psychological, emotional, and physiological implications. So perhaps in a future podcast, we can we can dive into some of these tools. But the more you can have those tools in your toolbox and you know how to use them and when to use them, the more you can use your mind to get you through those tough places. Those are great. And there are there is so much to talk about. I mean, we could talk about <laughs> all of this for a week. But uh, I guess one maybe last thing to highlight when we think about the mental toolkit and this concept of, of self-talk. I know that in living back to endure Alex Hutchinson's book, one of his conclusions when, when he was asked, you know, what is the one thing that athletes should focus on that could enhance their performance, sort of mental related thing that could enhance their performance. And he said, without a doubt, it's positive self-talk. I know we might talk about this in, in the future, but I guess briefly, you know, what does that mean exactly? You know, I, I often think of it as sort of mantras that you sort of repeat to yourself when you're working out or in the middle of a race. And unbelievably, those types of things, those sorts of things can can definitely help. What what exactly, how would you categorize positive self-talk? And, is, and do you have an example of, of it? Yeah. So, I mean, basically self-talk is just what you say to yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and it can be like before the race, oh my gosh, this, this is not going to go well. I'm not feeling good or the, the water is so cold or so rough. I'm going to drown. And I, and I, and I work with, with triathletes who panic on swims, which is not uncommon. And, and so, and, and then during the race, uh, you know, being able to keep it going toward the end of a race, when you start to get tired, all these things, it's, it's about, it's about helping your mind take control and have dom- dominion over your body mm-hmm. because your body again through evolution it doesn't want to do this because it hurts and it doesn't know that this is not the serengeti 250,000 years ago so you, you talk about mantras um one thing that's really valuable in terms of self-talk and a great tool um and a sort of a preparation tool as well is to come up with a couple of phrases maybe one or two that toward the end of a race 
when it's getting hard. And here's a great personal example. So um, Irving, Texas, multi-sport festival in April, you guys were there mm-hmm. and uh, the run and for the super sprint and the, um, and the mixed relay, it's about 20 minutes ish, depending on how fast you are full gas. Oh yeah. hundred percent all out, no holding back. And the run half mile flat. And there's a turnaround where then you can come back and see it and gasping for air. Just, 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 you can't get enough oxygen into your system. And my mantra that I've, that I've just trained into myself is dig deep and finish strong. So that last part of any race and I'm hurting, but I want to keep it going. That's, that's what I'm saying to myself, dig deep, finish strong, dig deep, finish strong. And that is sending a very powerful message to my body, keeping going. Cause I know I can get to the finish and, but, but I want to get to the finish as fast as possible. And there's not that much longer to go. So, so that's a, a, a very simple, practical example of how self-talk can be so powerful um, uh, toward the end of a race, which is the hardest part of the race usually. Yeah. It, it's not cheesy, <laughs> you know, it's, but the mantras can be cheesy. Did you assimilate these into your training as well? Because one thing we oh. try to get across is with our athletes is when you're specifically training for a race, you race how you train, especially in race specific training, we're aiming to build efficiency at, at race pace and integrating certainly a lot of the items in your mental toolkit. We talk about breathing and things like that, but so you also, I imagine, apply these mantras when you're training also. You don't just do something different on race day. Right. You train these things so they become a what you do, because if at the end of a race, like like in, in Texas in April, if I had never thought about the, the couple of mantras, some self-talk, mm-hmm. I, it's not like I can just stop and go, OK, I'm dying here. What do I need to do? Right. <laughs> you know, you don't have the time or the energy to, for that. So you have to have it trained into you. So that's what you automatically do. And, and I'm going to I'm going to push back a little on something you said is that okay. you race like you train. You, that's only, and I, I always ask athletes, should you train like you race or should you tr- race like you train? And the most, most say I will, ra- I'd like to race like I train because in training you're relaxed. There's no pressure. You can just mm-hmm. have a good time. And wouldn't it be great if you could do that in a race? One minor problem races matter. And that totally changes the game. There are a lot of Olympic and world champions in training, but training oh, yeah. doesn't count. So the way I put it is to, tra- to race like you train, you have to train like you race. And that doesn't mm. mean going full gas in all your training. It means that whatever you're doing, whether it's a yoga class or long, slow distance or, um, or uh, you know, a, 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 you know a intense um, FTP interval workout, whatever it is, you do put everything into it. You do it as well as you can. And you incorporate a lot of these mental tools and you're aware of your mental muscles that you're strengthening during the course of all these different types of training. So you develop, you strengthen the muscles and you get better at using these mental tools in training. So when you get to the race, then you can pull those tools out and your muscles are strong. Your mental muscles are strong. Yeah. One thing you mentioned earlier is using mental training while you're training as well. So you're kind of stacking the task while you're doing it. So obviously you're killing two birds with one stone but you're accomplishing that to, like you mentioned, you can train like you race. Yeah. Right. Not only is yeah. it efficient, but essential if, if, I mean, you have to simulate these things, but I love that. I love that inversion right there. We're just inverting everything. This podcast mm-hmm. train, train like your race. 
it's a, it's a good way to think about it. And you have to deliberately think about hardening the mind and, and mental training and apply these things in training. So it's like, it's almost like prehab or, or something like that. Like we strength train or, and do various stability and hip strengthening stuff to prevent injuries that we can maximize performance on, on race day. And I guess it's the same thing with, you have to use, you have to know how to use the tools in your mental toolkit so that you can actually tap into them during the race and you need to be vigilant, I guess, and, and focus on these things. And I think that's the point of what we're talking about this podcast, that mental training is, is important for triathletes. And I think we convinced everybody. <laughs> well, that's always my goal in, in this sort of um, situation. And all I can do is explain things and help people get a better understanding of it and use my own personal examples. And then it's up to people to, to decide how important this is. And if, if they decide it's important, then they'll do the work. And again, it's not incredibly time or energy intensive. It doesn't take that much effort to do mental training. But just like you go into the pool with a particular workout, a particular goal, just like you go out on the track and on your indoor trainer with a specific thing you want to work on physically, same thing with mentally. I encourage triathletes that every time you do a workout, have a mental goal. And it might be to relax, to breathe. It might be to be positive. It might be to stay motivated. It might be to um, overcome pain more effectively so you can get more out of the workout. And so uh, picking one simple goal, every workout from for, for mental training. And what happens then is you're training those mental muscles, you're using those mental tools and you become, you become mentally strong and you become good with those tools. So on race day, just like you develop the, the fitness to go the distance at a certain speed, you also have the mental capabilities to go the distance at a certain speed and achieve your goals. I love it. Yes. I mean, it, it's incredibly important. And, you know, we covered a lot, a lot of things on, on this podcast and there are, there's an infinite number of additional, you know, things to, to discuss for sure. And certainly we, we look forward to, to covering those in, in future podcasts, but we we appreciate immensely you you coming on on the podcast. And I know that the athletes we coach and all the other listeners are they're going to enjoy this one. I mean, we covered a lot meant the mental side of training. I think we we got across why it's important for triathlon, but also for for life. I mean, these are tools that you can apply to just be a better human. So we're, we're definitely uh, excited about future conversations on that front. But uh, but we appreciate you coming on. And again, if if athletes would like to to get in touch with you or, or learn more, um, they can go to www.drjimtaylor.com and that's drjimtaylor.com. Is, is that the best best way for people to, I guess, lear, learn more about you or, or get in touch with you? Yeah, I've got my contact information, plus about 95% of everything I've ever written, aside from my books, are up there free. Uh, mm -hmm. My podcasts are there. My blogs are there. So um, it's just a great place to uh, to learn more about uh, the mental side of, uh, of triathlon and sport. Yeah. And and those art articles are are amazing. I mean, I encourage all listeners to go check those out, read through them. Each article is is a great a great read. And and even if you read one a day, I think and, and you'll find useful things to apply to make you better. Um, but we certainly appreciate you coming on. And if anybody would like to get in touch with Derek or, or me, feel free to shoot us a line at info at workingtriathlete.com. Thanks, everyone. See ya. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. It's fun.